Philippians chapter 5, three more messages and we're done. Three more, this Sunday and two more, and that's it. So chapter 5, we'll be done. First Thessalonians is all about living with Jesus while waiting for Jesus, living for Jesus while waiting for Jesus, and this morning we're going to look at another aspect of how we live, how God wants us to live as we wait for him. And so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. Familiar verses probably for some of us. I trust that by the time we're done this morning, you'll have at least one of those three verses memorized. All right, you there? All right. For 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This book is full of declarations of God's will for us. But every once in a while, God will push something to the surface as we make our way through different books of the Bible. And he'll say, now this, this for today, this for this season of your life is my will for you. And here it's pretty crystal clear, right? His will is pretty easy to see. Rejoice all the time. Pray all the time. Give thanks all the time. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> we could. I mean, this section, these verses are all about rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks while we wait for Jesus to return. It's about pr rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks while we wait for Jesus. So those are our points. But before we get to those three points, which are basically going to be rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, we can't overlook and we must have as a foundation the phrase, in Christ Jesus. Do you see it in verse 18? All three of these commands are to be undergirded with the phrase, in Christ Jesus. Now, I take the phrase, in Christ Jesus, to mean that you can only do these commands if you are in Christ Jesus, and, they're only a and they are a benefit to you if you are, in fact, in Christ Jesus. In other words, you can't rejoice always, pray without ceasing, or give thanks in all circumstances the way that God created you to unless you are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus, then there are blessings to be found in these three commands. Let me just illustrate, see if this helps. I don't know if any of you guys are swimmers. You ever been on a swim team? <laughs> Imagine with me, you are standing on the pool deck and your coach couldn't make it. And so I am replacing your coach for the morning. I show up and I say to you and to your swim team, freestyle continuously, flutter kick all the time and breathe on every other stroke. For this is the will of your coach in the pool for you. How significant is the pool in that statement? I mean, you could stand on the pool deck and you could freestyle. You could try to flutter kick. 
You could try to breathe as you're doing it, but it wouldn't be effective, would it? In fact, you would just be going through the motions. You wouldn't be going anywhere. And the same is true if you are not in Christ. To fulfill the coach's desire, you'd have to get in the pool. Well, in order to rejoice and pray and give thanks, you've got to be in the pool. You've got to be in Christ Jesus. So to fulfill this command, we now look to what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Because we need to see how significant that is. And as I was thinking about it this week, my mind was instantly drawn to John 15. You guys know John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears good fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. I mean, he says nothing. In other words, you, you and I, I don't, I don't think I believe this often enough, you can do nothing that will bear fruit. You can't pray, you can't give thanks, you can't rejoice unless you are in the vine, unless you are in Christ Jesus. It would be like you expecting this stick to produce apples next year if you set it on your front porch. It's not going to happen because it's not in the vine. And the same is true here. If you're not in Christ Jesus, then you have no hope of bearing any fruit in praying or rejoicing or in giving thanks. And so in this phrase, in the Lord Jesus or in Christ Jesus, is the solution for why you and I so often struggle to rejoice always. In this phrase, in Christ Jesus, is the solution to the struggle that we have that prevents us from praying continually or for giving thanks in all circumstances. And so even before we get into these three, the reality is there is a need for you and I to preach to ourselves the reality that you are in Christ to preach our union with Christ, that when we realize I'm struggling to pray or to rejoice or to give thanks, that the solution is to remind yourself, I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, and my union with Christ then gives me the motivation to rejoice and pray and give thanks. It gives me the power to rejoice and pray and give thanks, and it helps conform my will my prayerless will, my angry will, or my complaining will to God's will, which is for me to be joyful and thankful and prayerful. And so our union with Christ in this text, in the phrase, in Christ Jesus, is the ultimate soul-altering game-changer for you to enjoy the will of God. So that when you hear those three commands, you go, yes! That's what I want. Because if you're not in Christ Jesus, or if you're not enjoying the goodness of being in Christ Jesus, these three commands sort of become a bummer or are really hard to do. And so throughout the message, I'm going to keep weaving that in there. The reality that you are in Christ this morning, your union with Christ. So let's pick these apart. Number one, rejoice. Rejoice. He says in verse 16, Rejoice always. You could, you could word it this way. Be glad always. Be happy always. And this is an impossible task unless you are freshly aware of the reality that you are in Christ Jesus. Now, before we, before we go into this idea of being a rejoicer of all times, I know and God knows that life at times can be very, very difficult. 
It can be filled with challenges, with sorrow, with pain. And this command does not mean that God wants you to just look at the trials of life and then go, nope, I'm just got to be happy. It's not what he's saying. Over the past few years, I think I've shared this once or twice before, I have found what God has Paul write in 2 Corinthians so helpful. Paul talks about his life and he says, he's sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It seems there's a way to rejoice while acknowledging sorrow. There is a way to simultaneously grieve and yet be happy. I think when your soul is settled in Christ, you can wade the river of grief while rejoicing in the waterfalls of Christ. I think there is a way to do it. And so here, as we, as we move into this, there should be no condemnation or guilt if your grieving right now is overshadowing your rejoicing. Because I believe there are times where that happens. But here, this command is, is an urging. It's a will of God that we would rejoice. And so I thought, okay, what, what, is, what does God want us to rejoice in? And obviously, it could be a long list, right? But I thought, what does it say in 1 Thessalonians about rejoicing? So I went ahead and looked at the verses that Paul has already preached to us about rejoicing to see what it is that we particularly could rejoice in in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And it's interesting, there's two. The first is in chapter 2, verse 19. In chapter 2, verse 19, you can turn back there, I think it's going to go on the screen too. It says this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before your Lord Jesus at his coming? So what's going to give him joy? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Uh, So I think what Paul is saying is, what are you going to rejoice in? We should rejoice in each other. We should rejoice in one another. And then in 3.9, I think this is a passage Tyler preached from a while ago, it says this, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? So I think there's many things we can rejoice in, but it seems that in 1 Thessalonians, the focus is on community. It's a sense of which we should derive joy for the work we see God doing in each other's lives. We're just being together, just being friends together. There should be a level of joy. And come on, haven't you guys experienced that? Come on, be honest. Haven't you gone to your group of three grumpy? Gone to community group with an attitude? Drug yourself there to go anyway? Now, I'm not saying every time you left, you were skipping with joy. But I do know that every time I go, I leave filled with happiness, with some level of joy, just from having been together with other people who are trying to follow Jesus together. And I think God designed it that way. Isolated Christians have a harder time finding joy because they're supposed to get it from one another to some degree. And so, so press into this and say, rejoice always by pressing into community, by looking to one another to see what God is doing in our lives. And anytime we look to God's imperatives, to his commands, I think we got to protect ourselves then of, of moralism or, or any kind of legalism. And so it's good, I think, that we, if we're Christians, that we speak Christ into rejoicing always. What does that look like? So that we're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, right? And parents, we don't want to tell our kids, be happy all the time, because God says so. Now, it's enough that God says so, but God never does that. He gives us wonderful reasons why he wants us to rejoice. 
And in this case, if we speak Christ into it, we'd ask ourselves, what do, you, what do we know about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do, that's connected to joy and rejoicing. So they thought about it, my mind immediately went to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. Love this verse, don't understand what it means. <laughs> you have loved righteousness. This is the author of Hebrews preaching a sermon about Christ. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So this, the, a statement is being made about Jesus that he is gladder than anyone else that he walked on earth with, his companions. And I broaden that. I go, who are his companions? I, I think all the human beings. So then you can say, take the happiest person that has ever lived in the history of the universe, and Jesus exceeds them in gladness. I mean, this is good news. You see this other place in Scripture. Every time it talks about blessed be the Lord, the word blessed is he's happy. So good news for you this morning. You have a happy God. You have a happy God. God is not glum. He's not melancholy. He is happy. There is more joy in the Trinity than our wildest imaginations could ever conceive. And if you're in Christ, then you're part of the Trinitarian happiness party. Sometimes I like to imagine, I don't know if you guys have time, I hope you do, to imagine, like, I imagine if I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and as a result, Christ is in the Trinity, that means I'm standing in the Trinity while they're experiencing endless, infinite, exuberant joy all the time. And if you're in Christ, you're a part of that. That's an experience for you to have, to see that your God exceeds any amount of joy that you could ever imagine. And for you to tap into that resource as a motive, as power to say, I want to rejoice always. I want to obey the will of God and I want to rejoice always by reminding myself that I am in Christ. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you grumpy or happy? Are you angry or joyful? Does your life paint an accurate picture of Jesus' happiness? Does it? Does it paint an accurate picture of how happy Jesus is? Now, that's my motive. That, there's the motivation. Why? It's because I'm in Christ, so I want to be joyful. And I have an opportunity now to image God to the people that I meet every day by being happy, by being joyful. Number two, pray. Pray. And not just pray, but pray without ceasing. Without ceasing. This is an invitation as much as a command. You and I can pray without ceasing. In other words, there's no time limits. There's no restrictions. You have an unlimited, all-access pass to enjoy communion with God. Did you know that? 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, you have full access for your soul to interact with God himself. And you know that can only happen if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, there's nothing stopping you at any point in any day from enjoying communion with God. But it comes from your union with God. 
So your union with Christ makes your communion with Christ possible. Now, that's different than the Lord's Supper, right? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That, that's only once a month or so as a group. We do it together. Communion, on the other hand, that's all the time for all of us. You can commune with your God anytime, anywhere, over anything. And it's because of what Christ has done. Just a reminder of Hebrews 4. I've been reading through Hebrews. Love Hebrews. For we do not, this is in Hebrews 4.15, I think it's on the screen too. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is a high priest sitting on a throne who's been tempted every way you and I are so he can identify with us, yet he never sinned. And then verse 16 says, let us then with confidence. You can interpret that. Let us then with unreserved, cheerful freedom draw near to the throne of grace, commune with God, that we may receive mercy, not wrath, grace, and not judgment, to help in our time of need. I mean, there's a reason to pray, right? Our time of need. Do you have a time of need? Anytime that you think you need help, there's no limitation to what you can draw near to God about or when you can draw near to him about it. Because Jesus made a way so that you can pray without ceasing. It's good to remember that. I, I couldn't obey that command if Christ wasn't in me, if I wasn't in Christ. But because of Christ, I can pray without ceasing. And prayer, once again, is the way that we get to image Christ. Because what do we know about Jesus? He prayed. Hebrews 5 tells us this, that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. While Jesus was on earth, in his flesh, he prayed. I don't understand that. He didn't need to pray, did he? But he prayed. How much more do we not need to go to God with all of our stuff and just say, God, I need help with this. Help me. Please help me. Knowing that he'll meet us with grace and with the mercy to give us the help that we need. And so as we follow the author and perfecter of our faith, who prayed, we too pray. We pray. So let me just ask you how good you are taking, at taking advantage of this opportunity to enjoy God in communion in prayer. And let me ask you again, does your life paint an accurate picture of Jesus who prayed? He prayed. Do you pray? And if you're thinking, man, I haven't prayed in a long time. No condemnation, no guilt. Go pray. Go for a walk out in the woods and cry out to God. Tell him all your stuff and enjoy fellowship with him. See, our union with Christ is objective. It is a fact. I am in Christ. But my communion with God is more subjective. There's a sense that it's a feeling thing. It's kind of like being married, right? It's a fact. I'm married to Elspeth. I have a certificate. It's a fact. It's 
objective. But if you ask me about our communion with one another, well, that's a little more subjective. And that comes and goes, sometimes more than others. And the same is true with God. We commune, my wife and I, because we are united. And you commune with God because you are united because of Christ. So Christ is in you. You don't have the opportunity to commune. Take advantage of it. Creator of the universe wants to have a talk with you. (laughs) Enjoy it. Take him your needs and your struggles and your joys and enjoy your walk with your God. I mean, that's the command. Enjoy God. (laughs) What a mean God we have, huh? (laughs) Enjoy us. Enjoy me. Come on. All the time, anywhere, any situation, any circumstances, I'm here. How wonderful is that? So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and number three, give thanks. Give thanks. Not just give thanks, but give thanks in... That word just stinks, doesn't it? All circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. So let's just be completely honest. Let me be completely honest. My heart is more prone to complain than it is to give thanks. I think complaining comes natural to humans. We like to complain. In fact, I have a master's degree in complaining with a minor in whining and a concentration in self-pity. It just happens. It just happens. And at a heart level, I think it happens because I think I should be at the center of the universe. Because I should be. Everything should cater to me. Everything should go my way. Things should happen in my timing. This room should be at my preferred temperature. The wait for me should be seconds. The item should be on sale for me. The fast lane, fast lane is reserved for me. And all traffic lights should remain green for me. And if they don't, look out. Complaining and giving thanks cannot coexist. They are opposing forces. And you find that when there's that battle in your soul to give thanks, there's always something just as loud that you can complain about. So let's just confess it as humans. We are prone to complain. And I think we even like it. Somehow we feel like it completes who we are. (laughs) And so I've been camping out About three months ago, I started camping out in Exodus 16. Exodus 16 is an entire chapter set aside to expose the complaining and the grumbling of God's people during the Exodus. (laughs) You want to read it? Read it. You read it and take it seriously? It is powerful. So here's what he says. This is one little excerpt from this passage. Moses says, verse 8, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to eat, To the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him. What are we? This is Moses talking with Aaron. Your grumbling is not against us, says Moses. It's actually against God. And read the chapter. He says that over and over and over again. Two things are crystal clear. All grumbling is against God not against the traffic light. It's not against the temperature of the room. It's not against the item that was supposed to be on sale, not being on sale. It's against God. And the second thing that's crystal clear in this verse and in the chapter is that God hears all grumbling. He hears you. 
every time we utter a complaint, God hears it. And he receives it as a complaint against himself. That's, that's convicting for me. That my every complaint actually reaches the ears of God, and when he hears them, he takes them as a personal complaint. Listen, this is not God's will for you. God's will for you is that your heart would be full of thanksgiving. And thanksgiving in all circumstances. He says that, in all circumstances. But I want to highlight the word in. It's in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. In other words, there are circumstances, circumstances of injustice or abuse or sin that we're not to be thankful for, but we're supposed to be thankful in. Let me illustrate. We received this certified letter last week in the mail. It is to my wife. It is from the General Court of Justice, the Superior Court Division before the clerk of Johnson County, North Carolina, where my, mother, where my wife is handling her mother's estate and closing it out. We had a sign for this. This is an official document. It says this. Take notice that if the document listed above is not filed within 20 days after the service of the order, or if there's not good cause for your failure to do so, then the proceeding for contempt may be brought against you, and you may be removed as fiduciary and be committed to the county jail for an indefinite period. If one of us is going to jail, I always thought I'd be the one that would go for something. <laughs> Not her. Now, I don't think God expects my wife to get this, and she didn't, and go, thank you. This is wonderful. I could go to jail for an indefinite amount of time for something I paid a lawyer thousands of dollars to do for me and didn't do. I don't think God expects that. But I think... In the circumstances, she can say, I thank you, God, that you are sovereign over the judge. I thank you that you're sovereign over my lawyer who didn't do her job. I thank you that you are sovereign over all things, and I can trust you as my God. In other words, there's still thankfulness. It's not thankfulness for this. I might go to jail. I don't think that's what God's expecting. But there is a sense in which God says there's always a platform of thankfulness that you can stand on, even when there's things around you that maybe you shouldn't say thank you for, or you can't say thank you for, or God wouldn't want you to say thank you for. So let's give thanks in all circumstances, not necessarily for all circumstances. And we do have so much to be thankful for, don't we? So much to be thankful for. I just sat outside for a bit, just thought about all the things that I have to be thankful for. And the list just keeps going and going and going. But I wanted to, I hope, help you this morning by instead of focusing on all those things, which is a good thing to do, all the blessings of God, all the things we have to be grateful for, just to narrow it down and just to take a minute and let me act like the psalmist and give thanks to the Lord for he is good over us this morning. So I just want you to drink this in. Just drink in this reality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And let this just build your faith. So, so here goes Matt the psalmist, if I could. <laughs> give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Oh, give thanks to the Father, 
For he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything else. Oh, give thanks to the Father, for he makes the sun rise and the rains fall. Oh, give thanks to the Father, he gives us all things to enjoy. Oh, give thanks to the Father, for he is infinitely good and loving, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. He's good and he's happy. Give thanks to the Spirit. He pours out peace and hope and rest into our souls. Oh, give thanks to the Spirit who comforts us in our time of need. Oh, give thanks to the Spirit who draws near to the brokenhearted. Give thanks to the Spirit who has made you born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for his love is so high and wide and broad and deep that it is incomprehensible. Give thanks to Christ, for he has defeated Satan. He's conquered death and sin and the grave. Oh, give thanks to Jesus. He has plunged your sins into the depths of the sea. Oh, give thanks to Jesus. He's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh, give thanks to Christ, for he has canceled the record of debt that stood against you. He has imputed his righteousness to your account. He's drank the cup of God's wrath completely dry. Give thanks to Christ, for he always lives to make intercession for you. Give thanks to Jesus. He sits on a throne of grace, a happy throne of grace. He gives thanks there for you, and we give thanks as he presents you there with no condemnation. Oh, give thanks to Jesus. He's preparing a place for you, an eternal place for you. Give thanks to Jesus. He will return, and when he does, it won't be to judge you. It will be to make you new and to bring you home. Oh, give thanks to Jesus, for he has made a way for you to be with him forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. He is good. And as you give thanks in all circumstances, know that you are painting a picture of Christ because Christ gave thanks. Christ gave thanks. There's only a few times. Two of those in Scripture are related to the Lord's Supper, which, if you think about it, is mind-blowing. In Luke 22, he's eating the Passover, and it says he takes the cup and he gives thanks, knowing that represents his blood. That would be shed. He takes bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks, it says in Luke 22, knowing that that would be his body broken for you. In 1 Corinthians, it says this For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I mean, at the moment when we would least expect it, Jesus gives thanks. Under the less than desirable circumstances, Jesus offers thanks. He gives thanks for the bread and the wine that represent his flesh being torn open and his blood being poured out. He gives thanks, I believe, on that day knowing that on this day, November 12, 2023, we would remember and proclaim his death 
for the forgiveness of our sins by eating bread and drinking wine. I don't think there's a greater moment of giving thanks in all of human history. This giving of thanks will echo throughout the, all time, all history, and all space forever. We will hear the echoes of his giving thanks forever and ever as he lets us into his eternity. And so this morning, I don't know if the band wants to be on stage, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a way of thanking our Savior for what he's done and even joining him and imaging him as the one who gave thanks. We now get to go give thanks too. Thanks to him for what he has done for us. So the application for this week, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen? Let's stand. We're going to sing a song and then we'll... We'll get, our, we'll get the Lord's Supper in a minute. Let's just stand and sing a song together first.